another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's up, man? I'm in Pacific time. It's 9.29 p.m. Pacific Pacific time. I kind of like it. All the basketball is basically over for the night, and you still are able to get to bed at a good time. So I'm starting to see what the hype is about. Exactly, man. I mean, look, it's... You're, it's really hot where you're at, right? You're out in Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix. It's 97 degrees today was the high. Out of look, control. Even in SF, 70 degrees. Look, welcome to the West Coast, baby. Is that this a, is how it is all the time. Is that We're a record busy. high for SF? Funny, funny. Nah, man, this is just another day in the life. A little microclimate action. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 55-degree difference between uh, Phoenix and Chicago right now. It's insane insane but but tell, why are you really there are you there to watch the demise of the los angeles lakers who by the looks of it right now they're playing in phoenix and losing by 20 which i think would all but kill or no pretty much kill they're not pretty home. much they are done if they lose this game which i assume they can't come back from 21 with seven minutes ago they're officially eliminated because the spurs beat the nuggets tonight um i am here to to officially remove any doubt that LeBron James <laughs> could be the greatest player of all time. He cannot oh get God. higher than number two after his just shenanigans all season, um, capped by, you know, the fact that he skipped another must-win game tonight, just like he did on Sunday versus Denver. And if he has the audacity to play two more meaningless games this season to clinch the scoring title – which, by the way, he's now second place behind Joel Embiid. If he tries to come back to just to get to that number, he might drop out of the top five all time for me. Yeah, somehow he just takes negative hit after hit in this meaningless season. What I don't understand is his ankle completely twisted to the side. So, and, and people are just acting like that's something you can miraculously just bounce back from. So, hasn't look, he done if, that his whole career? If, if he plays, people say he's stat pads. If he doesn't play, people say he's, you know, shirking games. Like, hey, he can't win, man. He can't win. He's the GOAT. It's already been established. Don't he worry about it. He can't win in the finals, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> look, at the end of the day, you know, you can hold on to all these little meaningless things at the end of his career to try to bolster your Jordan argument. But the fact that you even try to do that says everything about LeBron's status. Like, all these Jordan stands are worried, man. They're trying to nitpick every single thing. But that's a, you know what? That's a separate conversation. I don't want to get down that. I'm a Joel Embiid stand right now. 45 and 13 tonight, just to take the crown from your boy in case LeBron had any ideas about playing versus OKC and Denver and putting up 35 each. <laughs> it might not be enough. That's true. It may not. Um, all right, so we are going to do – so we have basically a week from today, I think, is going to be the first play-in games. And then a week and a half from today, April 16th, is going to be uh, game ones of the NBA playoffs. So we're very, very close to the end of the season. It is um, as exciting as ever because of the play-in tournament. The play-in tournament is doing exactly what we what Adam Silver had hoped it would which is create a ton of intrigue around the way the end of the season is going to break down. It's gotten a lot of stars. I think this is year two, right, of, of having year three. Place. Oh, yeah. Well, the bubble, I don't really count because it was just like an 8-9 thing. 
But if you yeah. even look at it as just um, last year and this year, last year we had Steph, we had LeBron, we had Jason Tatum, we had Russell Westbrook, we had Bradley Beal. This year we get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Trey Young, Paul George, um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. Cat. Yeah, we're spoiled. So this is kind of going exactly to plan. Um, now, the best part of – oh, LaMelo Ball – you know, kind of his first stage of big, meaningful basketball. And so we're going to do our awards ballot. I still think that you could argue something is left to be earned, but we're pretty much at the finish line. Would you agree? Like yeah, how many I, of your picks that you'd make tonight, would you feel shaky enough about that you could go back on by, you know, a week from now? The crazy thing is none of these awards should be affected by the last three or four games. But in, the reality is MVP is so tight that those games might matter. But, you yeah. know, at this point, like we're picked, we're splitting hairs with them. So we might as well make our decisions now and uh, stick by them. I don't and think too much is going to change in the last three. Just live games. with the results. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do our full awards ballot and we're also going to do all NBA. Do you have a preference of where we start? Which, which side of that? Let's start with MVP. Okay. And, and before we even get to MVP, sorry, should we start talk about uh, – sorry, I'm like multiple cocktails in tonight. Uh, just, <laughs> but should we start with, um, with UNC Kansas, really, the real MVP? Uh, yes, yes. Let's talk about UNC Kansas. The only thing um, I'll say is nothing is more college basketball – then a team playing six players, three of them turned ankles, one of them threw up on the court. Then, because the other team ran out of bounds with three seconds left up three, they still had a chance to send it into overtime. That was pinnacle college basketball. It was an unbelievable game to cap off a very, very entertaining tournament, but in a way that only college basketball could pursue could produce. And I understand why people love that sport so much because it's it's a one-of-one one kind of experience. Look, I get it. I get why it's so exciting. I get that, you know, the fact that anything could happen at any given moment. Like in an NBA game, you're up three. You've got the ball, like five seconds left. It's pretty much a wrap, right? With college, there's so many possibilities. Like we saw uh, Kansas step out of bounds last night. Or, you know, they could have missed free throws. There's so many things that keep a game in play that it's exciting. But at the same time, man, I mean, like, you know, this is I, I used to coach YMCA basketball, right? Watching a yeah, bunch I of fourth graders run around. This analogy is going. Watching a bunch of fourth graders run around and play a close game was also exciting. But that does not make it a good, you know, good product. I still I enjoy college basketball. I enjoy these close games, but it's infuriating to me sometimes down the stretch watching these offenses, watching these blunders. It's it's comical. It's entertaining, but at the same time, it's like it's it's tough to watch. If you have money on it, or if you have a rooting interest, it's not for you. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you have a rooting interest, it's you it's have to really be completely hard. agnostic to the result. Like for example. I was sort of rooting for UNC last night, um, despite being, you know, an ACC rival of Virginia Tech. The reason being Hubert Davis, 1988 class of Lake Braddock Bruins. Shout out to to my high school, um, <laughs> the head coach of UNC. He was actually my commencement speaker in 2007. Oh, so wow. 
little bit of a little bit of history that we both share. Um, and I was rooting for them, but at the same time, I wasn't going to be crushed if the most successful basketball program of all time was not able to win a, a, another championship. Like it was fine. Um, you know, I, I think if Villanova had been in the title, I would have probably rooted for them just cause I feel like they haven't achieved villain status yet, you know, in the same way the other blue bloods have been, even though they've won two titles in the last, what, five years, yeah. um, this would have been third, but it's a fun experience, but you have to understand they're just kids and you can't get too invested. And I feel like people get way too invested in college sports compared to professional. Yeah. I mean, I think what leaves a sour taste in my mouth is just the fact that it was UNC Kansas again. Right. And every year it feels like no matter all the turmoil that happens in the first couple of rounds, we end with, you know, even Villanova who isn't some story program, like is very consistent now. Gonzaga, we have the same eight to 10 programs showing up in the final four every year. And among that group, someone wins. I, and it's, it's getting kind of stale to me, especially because a lot of times like this, for example, in this finals matchup, there were no NBA prospects that I cared about. And as someone who's a big NBA fan, that also drives a lot of my interest. But a lot of these guys are not playing for the best teams or the teams got, I mean, actually this year we had, you know, Paolo go to the next round. We had a couple of guys kind of go a little bit deeper, but yeah. When it's just a bunch of guys who you know ultimately are going to do anything, I guess some people find the beauty in that. But it, to me, it's like it—it it just it's not as exciting. Like I don't care about Armando Baycott. Yeah, I don't like, care I'm about not him. scouting for Olympiacos, right? Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Can, it'll be at Maccabi Tel Aviv. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good game, but I, was, I, I, I will say this: Caleb Love, right? Um, I yeah. mean, nothing defines college basketball or March Madness more than a guy like Caleb Love, who you get hot and he eviscerated UCLA. You know, he was big in a lot of games down the stretch, but it comes back to bite you when he shoots. What did he shoot? Five for 23. He, he was missing everything, including yeah. the game winning three or the game tying three, which <laughs> was another comedy of errors watching Brady Manic flop around the court trying to get the <laughs> ball to the right person. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, Caleb Love had a little Johnny Juzang 2021 going for him, with just like the incredible sh- hot shooting streak. Um, and the kid for Kansas too was kind of like that uh, in the last couple games. I forget his name, but he hit the he hit like three threes like in the first five minutes for Vill- versus Villanova, and then again he came back and hit the first three of the game yesterday. And so there's that's the fun thing. It's a seven game sample size. Anything can happen. Um, that's, that's true. Love it, but anyway, I figured I know that was out of uh, out of order of of sequence of how we were going to talk about this, but I figured we should mention it since it was the national championship, and we would be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge that that happened last night in a, in a night that there was no NBA games. Yep. yep. All right. So we're moving on. We're going to go through. Uh, so we'll do MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. Coach of the year, sixth man, most improved rookie, and then go into our three All NBA teams, which I think is going to be. Uh, I'm I'm actually fascinated to see kind of how you've landed on on all all of this. But let's start with MVP. We're going to do our top five. So count me down from five to one of where you've landed. All right, number five, Jason Tatum. Ooh, okay. Number four, Luca. Luca. Number three, 
Joel Embiid. Damn. Number two, Giannis. And number one, back the Joker, to- Nikola Jokic. Back to back like Jordan 96, 97. All right. Do you, do you want to give yours before we dive into? Uh... Yes. So I had Devin Booker at number five. Luka Doncic at number four. Giannis Antetokounmpo at number three. Joel Embiid at number two. Kristaps Porzingis, number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got I got the Joker as well. But I think so. Let's talk about this debate first. We both have Jokic. Talk me through Embiid versus Giannis. I I think so. I had Embiid um, originally. I mean, like just a month ago, he was my MVP. I I think Giannis at the end of the day. The, the impact defensively, the impact offensively, it's hard to really parse out who has had a better season. I think we want to reward Embiid because he's taken his game to another level where Giannis is kind of, we've seen it, and he's done it before. I just think Embiid, in the, although he balled out tonight, in the last month down the stretch has not been that impressive. And I think Giannis has continued to play at, at, at a level that he's sustained all season that I sustained going back to the postseason. And to me, that's what gives him the slight. I don't like rewarding him because, you know, I'm not a big Giannis guy, but I think Which his is whole crazy, body is a by work. the way. You might be the only person in the entire United States that's not a big Giannis guy. And look, and I'm the one who's the only guy rooting for Philly this year, right? Yeah, so it's, it's actually strange that I pick Giannis, but I have to, at some point, I have to just acknowledge that what he's been doing and, well, okay, what is the argument for Embiid over Giannis? I want to hear it. Beyond just, the, the, you know, the he's elevated is, his game. The argument is this. For the first 50 games of the year, when they had a $35 million hole sitting in their lineup, Embiid busted his ass to carry the team to, I think, a half game out of first or right there. Since they got James Harden, yes, that is an all-star teammate. But James Harden has not looked like James Harden on many nights. They've integrated, they've had to integrate one of the most difficult pieces in basketball, really, to integrate into anything. And they're still tied for second in the East after all that. And to be honest with you, Joel Embiid, you mentioned that he has struggled down the stretch. I disagree. The Philly, the 76ers have struggled as a team, and they've yeah. looked really uneven. Like, for example, who did they lose to a couple nights ago? It was so bad. Um, was that Orlando? No. Orlando, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, games like that are not – like Embiid has kicked ass basically every time he touches the floor. A lot of people point to the fact that he lost back-to-back games versus Denver and versus Milwaukee. I believe both at home, both on national TV. Yep. He balled out in both of those games, and his teammates let him down. As much as we give Jokic a pass for games that he shouldn't have lost, like including tonight versus the DeJounte Murray-less San Antonio Spurs, where he put up an absolutely insane stat line once again. We should do the same for, for Embiid. And I honestly think it's – the more I think about it, Jokic – so let me ask you this quickly. How much of a – how much doubt or how much thought did you give with Jokic at one? Did you ever consider him not number one? Yeah, I would say three weeks ago, four weeks ago. No, 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 like in this current iteration. 
No. Okay. No, no, no. I'm I'm firmly in the camp of Jokic now. And I've got yeah. Because ultimately we're just talking about like two or three win difference between where they are and where Milwaukee or uh I think Milwaukee and uh Philadelphia are both like forty nine and thirty and they're forty six and thirty three or something like that, right? So yeah. you're talking about like literally two to three games. The seeding is different because of the just the, the, the depth in the east versus west. But it's not like the East, as much as the East has recovered versus the West, it's not like way better. If you look at the conference record Mm -hmm. between the two, they're fairly like 500. So I just think, you know, Embiid has been given a lot of criticism for Harden's play. And that's not his fault because every time he steps on the court, he's still dominant. Whereas with the Bucs, as much as Giannis has been dominant, I see a little bit more of if it's a post-championship malaise, if it's like a, hey, we're just waiting for April, which is totally fair. I see that more frequently with him than I do with with, uh, with Embiid. But again, it's a three-horse race and nobody else even matters, in my opinion. Yeah, and to be fair, look, Embiid, he's, he's not been playing poorly down the stretch by any means. He's had really dominant performances. The last couple of performances have been amazing. I, it's more the team performance I'm alluding to. And yes, yeah. it's not all on him, right? It's the depth. They, the Sixers are lacking depth now. Um, and a lot of that is because they have no one to play behind Embiid, right? So that, that even puts a bigger burden on him. But I, for me, it's just the Sixers, you know, a month ago, two months ago, they were a one seed. And I know we're picking, like, they're only a couple games behind, but it just seemed like a much stronger narrative when they were like the, the king of the East and Milwaukee was a lot lower down the standings. Now it's kind of a wash, and both teams are about equal. And and I just think because the Sixers have struggled down the stretch, not Embiid's fault, it, to me it took away a little bit of the luster from his MVP campaign. Yeah. But honestly, I have those guys as kind of ranked together, and then I still have Jokic in another tier because of everything we've already talked about, all the advanced stats, like every advanced stat you want. Forget about advanced stats. The narrative, right? Like MVP is always about narratives, and the narrative this year for Jokic is – very obvious and clear. No Murray, no Porter. They're a fifth or sixth seed, maybe six right now. That's actually a in the West. Ding, isn't it? Like he's the lowest seed to win MVP since Westbrook, which is one of the most maligned MVPs, partially because of you know how low in the standings they were. So, so here's the difference, right? What I'll say is Westbrook, and although that year by a lot of the advanced stats, Westbrook was actually very good right he, he yes. was not the complete inefficient yes kind of chuck we noticed couldn't agree today's. more the revisionist history on that mvp is really egregious yes but but that being said right yes by some of the advanced stats he was still very good that being said the allure was the 30 10 10 right and that's all that really was there to his mvp campaign i think the difference with this nuggets team is Jokic has actually been solid defensively this season and he's shattering everyone across all the advanced metrics in a way that Westbrook was not that dominant that season. Yeah. And then you add the narrative that, you know, this Nuggets team without Murray, without Porter, is it's a very, very weak roster. Like you can talk about Will Barton all you want and Aaron Gordon, but at the end of the day, no, those guys get, are just they all suck. Yeah. They all suck. And and so I still think this is different than that year, plus the fact that this year, all the other MVPs, their records are not significantly better. When we were talking about Westbrook, he was going up against guys who had way better records. 
So I think that's the biggest point, which is if you wanted to give Devin Booker more of like a platform in this race and you didn't even have him in your top five, which to me is crazy that you put Tatum over him, but Devin Booker averaging 25, five and five on the best record by far in the league, every other person who's put up those numbers has one MVP. I think there's been like 10 or 11 instances of that too. It's not just a small sample. And so Devin Booker is not the MVP. He's not the best player. There's nothing about his candidacy, in my opinion, that actually would give me any type of consideration that he's MVP. But assuming everyone else or most other people feel that way, then you're not comparing his record, to your point. You're really just comparing Jokic, Giannis, and even if you want to throw Luka, Luka's Dallas's record is similar too. So it's not like anybody is running away with this like you know crazy gauntlet of a season of the top contenders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and we, we can go into the – let's talk about the, the Tatum-Booker piece, right? Yeah. Because I get the argument for Booker, like you said, with those stats being the first place, everyone in the past has won an MVP in that position. I think the argument for Tatum is they may not be as dominant. They're still the top team in his conference, right, which still you know means something, or close to the top team in the conference. And defensively, I think he plays a much bigger role than Devin Booker does. And he's got the gaudy stats to match. So I think with the defensive impact, the fact that Boston is still a top-tier team, although they're not the Suns, yeah. I wanted to give him a nod at five on the MVP race. I love the turnaround that Jason Tatum has had this year. I think if you remember the first month or two, he was shooting so poorly that when he got named to be an all-star, it was more off pedigree than it was total performance, right? There was a lot of question about whether even Jalen Brown was a more deserving Celtic uh, than Jason Tatum. So I love what he's done to turn around his game. I love the playmaking. I love the, like, obviously the improved shooting, the more aggressiveness. And then defensively, he leads the league in defensive win share. So it's not like, you know, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, those are, Al Horford are probably three amazing defenders that he has around him. And generally with defensive win shares or defensive analytics, it favors the good team defenses. And so all of the Celtics players are bumped up because of that, but he's committed to that end as well. I think with Booker, he's been amazing from day one, right? This isn't an instance of having to need an in-season turnaround. This isn't an instance of being able to just like ride the coattails of Chris Paul. Chris Paul's missed six weeks and just came back. They still kept it rolling with Booker. He's improved his efficiency quite a bit. For as smooth of a shooter as he is, you would not think that 38% that he's shooting from deep this year was a career high, but it is. Um, and I think he's committed on the defensive end in a way that's, you know, it's it's a, it's a noticeable enough that Rudy Gobert called out Donovan Mitchell by saying that Devin Booker actually plays defense. And so that that much has been, has been said. And so I'm not going to... I'm not trying to connect what he did last season, but the way he rolled into this season, the way that they've kept going, and the fact that they don't have to split votes anymore because Paul was hurt, I think at least you got to give Booker a top five nod. Well, the first few seasons, or sorry, the first few months of the season, uh, his scoring was down. You know, he's averaging 22, 23 points a game the first, you know, through December or something. So. He picked it up later in the season. I don't think, you know, and the same with Tatum. Like you said, Tatum was shooting horribly in the beginning. But I don't know if 
that Booker has the. I think his argument mainly is that the team he has consistently propelled that team, you know, throughout the season. The Suns have been winning in every shape or form or fashion without Chris Paul, with Chris Paul, and all that is driven by Devin Booker. So once again, splitting hairs, put him at five. I don't care. For me, it was between him and, and Tatum, and I took Tatum. Do you want to hear a weird Devin Booker stat? In three of the last four years, including this one. He's averaged exactly 26.6 points per game. <laughs> and last year he averaged 25.6. Which is kind of which is kind of yeah. weird. But I, I think yeah. I think the the good thing for him is really the, the three point shooting has gotten better. Um he's shot in like there was one season I think he shot better in his career. Three point. Yeah, you're right. One but, one season is at 38, but normally he's but, like 34, 35. But last couple of seasons he hasn't been as good. I think this year he's got the volume up and the percentages up, and that's really helped him kind of be even more dynamic as a scorer. So can we talk about the number four player on this list? Who do you have number four? You know who I have. Oh, Luca. Oh, yeah, we both have Luca. Yeah. Is he the best player in the league? No, 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 no. He's not. He's he's up there. He's he's top. He's probably he's top four. He's like the four guys we have. You can right you now. wait. That means Durant's not top four? Oh, I forgot about Durant. Sorry. He's top five with Durant in there. Like, I think the top five players right now is very Very solidified. Solidified. And then it drops off. So, yeah, with Durant. Luka Doncic, did you get to – I don't know how much of the Sunday game versus Milwaukee you you watched, but when Milwaukee plays all three of their guys, they're 35 and 10. Yep. And he just ripped their heart out. And it was – he was I don't putting, know why they weren't defending him any differently throughout the game, but I think he finished with like 31 and 15 and like six or seven rebounds, just carving them up play after play. He was attacking Giannis. I know. On the switch. And he was, was, his mastery of this offense post-Porzingis trade has been just revolutionary. Like he has a sixth sense with every single player on his team essentially about how to get the ball into their pocket, shooting pocket, how to hit them on the pick and roll, when to drive, when to like – he's not the greatest athlete, but he still has like hang time enough to make plays. His his head is always up. I've – you know me. I'm a, I've been a Luka guy from day one. Oh, and come on. I have been. I have the t- tweet receipts. Thank you very much. But, you have, um, yeah, but don't act like, you know, you were some – like you were just as, like, as much as everyone else was. Before anyone knew the name Luka Doncic, I was wearing his Real Madrid jersey. <laughs> um, but I I feel like if you look at his numbers, you would have thought he's this version of his player from year two onwards because that's essentially what he averaged, like the 28, 9, and 8 kind of thing. I think when you combine what he's doing offensively in just terms of like really just having the whole the ball on a yo-yo, it's almost like a puppet master out there plus his defensive intensity that's clearly picked up under Jason Kidd, we're seeing a version of this guy that, I mean, I, I really think it is, is a, is a, it's very reminiscent of LeBron 07, 08, kind of figuring it out across, you know, among a weaker supporting cast, let's just say. That, you know, again, he has to win, and he's not won a playoff series yet, but 
if he wins one series, he gets to maybe the second one, and then you start to think, is this the 07 Cavs that can actually make a deep run based on the individual brilliance of Luka? Yeah, I, we have to pump the brakes because we know what happens with these teams. We've seen it year in, year out. Uh, the one superstar surrounded by shooters, drive and kick. You know, for a while we saw it with LeBron, like you said, right? Um, and look, just being compared to LeBron is is huge in itself. So I don't want to diminish that. But he's better. I, I don't know if this version... Okay, no, he's not better. He's not better, please. One of Luca's critical flaws, not critical, but one of his flaws still, right, as good as he's been, is he still needs to get to the the free throw line a bit more. He gets there quite a bit, seven times a game. But if you're going to play that drive and kick game, you need to finish at the rim, get to the rim a lot more, get to the free throw line. Yeah. And so that, he, I think he, he still has something for, to unlock. He settles for too many threes for a guy who shoots 35% from beyond the arc. Exactly. And, and the problem is in the postseason, that's going to, you're not going to be able to get those shots off as easily. You're going to have to to take it inside, get to the line. So I think everything Luca is doing right now is amazing, right? But the problem with Luca is he's not going to win with this version of the maps. He's not. And so he's kind of hit this weird ceiling where we all recognize how great he is. He's got the stats. But to go to the next level in our minds, he needs to have playoff success. And I know you're talking about a maybe like an 07 Cavs run, but I still find it hard to see this team getting past Phoenix. Or I don't even know if this team could beat Memphis, right? I mean, they could on paper, but like the way Memphis is playing too, you can make the same argument that yeah, I mean, to say they can't to, win, right? things have to line up. Like I don't yeah. think Dallas, if Dallas didn't get out of round one this year, I wouldn't be shocked, right? Because you're either going to play a very, very veteran Utah team, which has struggled tremendously, but still at the end of the day has Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley. There's a lot of talent on that team, as screwed up as they are. Or you're going to have to play the two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, or the former two-time MVP, Stephen Curry, right? So I don't think they're going to play the Warriors. So it's really just going to be Mavs or Nuggets that are most likely the, the opponents. Sorry, Jazz or Nuggets that are most likely the opponents. Those are not cakewalks. Neither of them will be. Uh, Jokic has never lost in round one, and you know he's going one all-star versus two all-stars against the Jazz. So I'm not saying that I'm penciling him into the finals. I'm just saying like if they get on his back the way they have been over the last two months, I mean, we've gotten a big enough sample size to know that this is not a fluke. This defense is not a fluke. The way that the offense is constructed around Luka-centric ball like it's never been before is not a fluke. And by all accounts, his conditioning looks to be a little bit better, such that you don't think he's going to break down at the end of every game like he did versus the Clippers last year. I I agree. I just think that it's in the playoffs, you're going to need to rely on that second shot creator a lot more. And Spencer Dinwiddie's played a huge role, right, uh, on the Mavs so far. Yeah. Can can he still play that that role in the playoffs when defenses are keying in on him? I don't know. I I, and look, if the, if the Mavs lose in round one, that's you can't take away anything from Luka or what the Mavs did this season. All I'm saying, though, is that I just feel like all the success in the regular season, we can't read too much into it. Because this version of the Mavs, I still don't think is going to get that far. Yep. Yep. Okay. So next up, we have Defensive Player of the Year. 
Um, I was very torn on this one because there's a lot of candidates that have a claim to this award, but none that have, in my opinion, stood out and grabbed it. Uh, Draymond was that guy, but then he got hurt for a long time. He was probably running away with this, you know, up till January. But then it got sort of thrown back out into the into the uh, ether there. So who do you have for defensive player of the year? Give me Bam Adebayo. Um, now, here's why. The Heat are, I think, fourth in defensive rating, but fewest points allowed in the paint. Right? Bam has been, obviously, he's always been a good at-rim defender, but his biggest strength is also his versatility as a defender and how he can switch onto guards and the ball handler, etc. Now, the other player I had here was Marcus Smart for how good he's been. I like to give guards, you know, one year, I had, I think a year before last or last year, I had Ben Simmons as my defense player of the year. I like to give guards who play who's that, that? <laughs> who's that? <laughs> who have that versatility and who can switch onto any defender. I, I like to value that as well. But when, you know, Marcus Smart's biggest argument is, and he even said this in one of his interviews, was that, look, I can guard every position one through five, and that's why I should be defensive player of the year. You think about a guy like Marcus Smart, who we think of as a Swiss Army knife, you can put him on anyone. Bam Adebayo, I saw a stat on a per hundred possessions basis, actually had double the amount of switches onto offensive players than Marcus Smart did. So... Bam is constantly, whether it's because he's being put in pick and roll, whether they're trying to switch up matchups, is constantly switching. And his defensive metrics, all the advanced stats, still back him up as just this elite defender. Whereas a guy like Rudy Gobert, who I know all the metrics back him up, but we've seen time and time again, teams will hunt that that matchup, right? Um, to get him out on the perimeter. So you can kind of isolate, uh, iso him and, and take him to the rim. So because of all that, I'm taking Bam. Marcus Smart is my number two. So let me ask you one thing before I get to my answer. Was Bam's games played a consideration for you? Because he's only played in 55 games as of now and probably will add a couple more by season end. It, it was. Obviously, that was kind of the biggest knock against him. Um, especially for a defensive player of the year, you want to be available for as many games as you can. But this is a weird year. Like so many of the awards were penciling in guys who are playing that 55, 60 game mark, right? All across my ballot. You can make arguments that this guy shouldn't be there because he hasn't played that many games. So I decided not to really have it count against him. Okay. The other thing with smart, I know you like to give, like you just mentioned, you like to give credit to, to guards, but your stat about, his comparison versus Bam is why I think it's very difficult to give this award to guards is because they just don't touch enough plays defensively. Like, you know, back in the day, it used to be like, if you had wing defenders, you're going to lock people down. Like Jordan and Pippen was like the best example of that. Right. Or, or even like Joe Dumars, like back when he was like in contention for defensive player of the year, like, Gary Payton, like the guards and wings were much more prevalent, but we pretty much had a, aside from Kawhi, we've had a universal run on bigs. And that's because I think defensive analytics have taught us about the importance of bigs versus guards. I don't know that we should index entirely on that, but I think Zach Lowe brought up a stat that said, 
You know, Marcus Smart challenges two shots at the rim per game. Rudy Gobert challenges eight uh, yep. for four times as much. And, like, obviously that's Gobert's job. But challenges at the rim are pretty much the entirety of what defense is predicated on, right? Rim protection. Because you're going to give up threes. You're going to give up a lot of threes. Sometimes three-point success is highly variant based on things that the defense doesn't control. Um, and so that there's also that factor. So nonetheless, I, I would agree that in that category, I'd, I'd go Bam over over uh, Smart. But Bam's games played is what knocked him out for me. 54 games played. Give me Jaron Jackson Jr. Who, <laughs> wow. I mean, a good pick, but that's Who's I did not anchored. Listen, he's anchored a pretty impressive defense and a pretty impressive team that's gone, by the way, 20-3 and three without John Morant this year, a lot of which is predicated on, on Jaron Jackson Jr. He's leading the league in blocks, leading the leading block percentage, um, you know, top five in defensive win shares. He's, he's not going to jump off the page because he doesn't rebound a lot and he doesn't necessarily play that, like, central rim protector rover position like J- Steven Adams does some of that especially on the rebounding front but Jaron Jackson's everywhere he allows them to employ a very very effective switching defense when he's involved in pick and rolls and you talk about Bam Adebayo I think Bam Adebayo is maybe the best big man pick and roll defender in the league Jaron Jackson's probably right up there with him and I love how he's held up Memphis's defense which again the wins against, you know, the wins without Ja are pretty damn impressive, especially over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of that has to do with what, you know, Triple J has done. He still underwhelms a little bit offensively, but I think defensively he's been every bit as good as advertised. And really the tiebreaker for me over Bam, who was my second choice, was all about minutes played. And I think that might be a cop-out and maybe just a, a weak way to award one guy versus the other. But I do think that, like, if you think about, Impact part of that impact defensively is just being on the floor. No, that's totally valid. I mean, you think about Jaron Jackson's played 75 games this season, that's 20 more, right? At some point, that has to matter. Yeah, I have you know, I, I think that's a great pick. I I know how good he's been defensively. I didn't think of him as the front runner for defense player of the year, but I think given how good Memphis has been consistently, um, throughout the season with him at helm playing in pretty much all these games, right? Whether Jaw was there or not. To that be clear, to I don't matter. think he is the front runner. I think Bam, I just didn't feel like played in enough, and I didn't want to vote Rudy Gobert. <laughs> what about Giannis and Embiid? Because I considered those two a lot, but I think they just didn't have it all the time. Their their highest level of defense is probably one and two. Um, yeah. Especially Giannis was like strapping KD late in that Bucks Nets game. But the Bucks defense is still leaky, and they don't – I mean, it's okay because they carry an incredible burden offensively, but was that the reason you didn't really consider them here? The Bucks haven't been the same this year, um, and, and Embiid has been great defensively, but he has lapses um, just because he carries the burden so much offensively. Um, and, and so those guys kind of get hurt by the fact that we've seen them at, at you know higher peaks defensively. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel the need to reward them. So that's why I didn't really consider them. And Gobert, as good as the metrics, obviously will continue to bear out his impact. But at some point, we we got to stop this farce. Um, not farce, but like it's 
there are other ways to recognize defensive value beyond what we're seeing with Gobert. Um, and look, the, the conversation with one last thing I'll say about Bam versus Jaron Jackson Jr. Bam plays close to six minutes more per game. So, you know, granted, he's he missed, you know, 20 games compared to Jaron Jackson Jr., but he does have larger time on the floor, right? So, yeah, that's significant. Here, here's a trivia question for you. Since 1996, three players who are not what I would qualify as bigs have won Defensive Player of the Year. Who are they? Jordan? No, he won in 88. Oh. Pippen? No, he no, never Pippen won Defensive Player of the Year. I just uh, said Gary one. Payton. Gary Payton? That's one. That was 96. So every, the other two are more recent than Payton. Uh, who aren't? Did you say who were not a big or they were not a guard? big? Kawhi, Kawhi, he won twice back to back. Who's the last one? I'm blanking. The last one did not win this award for the Kings, but he played for the Kings. Our test. Yep. Oh three oh four. He was actually good for the Kings. Yeah, yeah, he was. No, Artest was amazing. No Kings will deny that. The, the one thing I'll say, but you know, you brought up a good point about how in the '90s, these wing defenders got recognized a lot more. Right, the game has changed, and I think a lot of that is because the mid-range game was so big back then that you had to have wing defenders who could contest those shots and make it difficult. Now everything's three or at a three-pointer or at the rim, or for the most right. part, right? And so because of that shot profile at-rim defense is hugely important. And so. it's three-pointers at the rim and free throws. So if you're able to contest without fouling, which a lot of the yep. guys that are most elite can, and maybe what the biggest attraction is from Jaron Jackson Jr. is that he fouls a lot, hence why he doesn't play as much as Bam. Um, actually, I don't want to vote him anymore for defensive <laughs> Stand by it. It's a solid pick. I mean, a lot of the numbers but, bear it out. But, yeah, it's true. It's like – you need to be able to contest without fouling. And and maybe, hey, shit, dude, maybe it is Rudy Gobert. Like, the Jazz, when he's on the floor, <laughs> are still fucking awesome. And so I know, but there's this weird, like... Yeah, I can't vote for him. That team's a disaster. Like, how many... Like, this guy's going to be, like, a 10-time defensive player of the year with what to show for it. I heard Zach Lowe two weeks ago talking about Rudy Gobert being left off of All-NBA. And we'll get to that. I'm curious if you have him on or not, but... He was saying that if he retires today, he's a Hall of Famer. Is that true? I think if you looked at his resume blindly, right, and stacked it up against other Hall of Fame resumes, possibly. I'll throw up if that's the case. But but, but it's honestly, I mean, if you look at the number of defensive player of the years, right, and then just even the stats aren't terrible, and you have a guy like Ben Wallace – Ben right? Wallace like, got in after like eight attempts, and he won a title. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If you just look at the stats, forget about kind of accolades. He mat- matches well with many other players. So he's a three-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, five-time All-Defensive, three-time Defensive Player of the Year. That, that, I'm telling you, guys with that profile have and gotten he, into the Hall of Fame. And he could get his fifth All-NBA this year, depending on how voting goes. And he's not a stiff offensively, right? He's 15 points a game. I know that's nothing to to celebrate, but there are guys who, with 10 points, 11 points who got in yeah, because of the defensive. 24.6 PER. Like, what was, like, McCumble, for example. 
He's in the Hall of Fame, right? I'm actually curious. I do want to know what Matumbo averaged. Um, He averaged 9.8 points, 10.3 rebounds. And how many Defensive Player of the Years did he win? He won four Defensive Player of the Years, eight six-time All-Defensive, so Gobert is going to get his sixth All-Defensive this year. Yep. Eight-time All-Star, wow. But only three-time All-NBA, so that's where he... So there's your comp, right? And Matumbo, kind of universally, I don't well, think Mutombo anyone was disagreed wasn't being with. punked by all of his peers like while he was playing. So, so that's what I'm saying. On paper, yes, he looks like it. But given the context, I don't think of him, and I don't think any of us think of him as a Hall of Famer. All right. Well, I don't hate Rudy, but I do think that he's a creation of John Hollinger to some extent. If he wasn't French, I think he'd get way less hate. So, I was some... thinking of I was thinking about that today. I was like, is it just because he's French? Like, is this just like some type of French bias? Because Americans love to kind of like clown on the French a little bit, but I'm not sure. Um, all right, next up, let's go rookie of the year. That's probably the to me the most the next contested one. I think it's a three man race. I mean, I think no one can argue with that i'm curious how you rank them so let's just do i think Cade, barnes and mobley are the three men in question would you agree yes okay how did you have them ranked i flipped this in the last week of how to come to jesus moment i think you're gonna go where i'm going scotty barnes oh and you're going Cade. <laughs> i know going Cade. I think Mobley's third. I think Mobley and Cade oh, are like really close. you put Cade third? What the? F- Look, it's really close. We're splitting hairs here. Similar to MVP. Here's my argument. Here's okay. Let me let me start with Cade. Here's the argument against Cade. Now, by all met like numbers and the way, impact, eye test, everything, Cade looks like he could be the best player in this class. And he took a little time to get going, right? I think he had a little bit of a slow start to the season. But the way Detroit's been playing these last couple of months, and you look at his splits, he's been amazing. What's holding me back from picking Kate is it is rare that we see rookies making a significant enough impact on a team that they're in the postseason race. And, And the fact that they're in the postseason race is a testament to that rookie. And... Barnes and Mobley, to me, have that on their resume this year. I know the Cavs have slipped, right? But that a lot of that's with Jarrett Allen. And, you know, they're still in, what, the seventh seed? And I think at some point, the rookie of the year can't just be big stats on a bad team. And I want to reward these guys for the impact they've had because they play defense and offense. And both the Raptors and Cavs have been significantly better than anyone projected, whereas Detroit is kind of where, you know, Given Detroit's got a much worse roster, fair. I I just think that for once we need to recognize that in the rookie of the year race. And so to me, that's why I'm putting Cade a notch below, all while acknowledging that he could be the best player in this class. All right. Now, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that Cade gets dinged because his first couple months were atrocious. Um, The shooting splits, you know. Just general lack of feel, but he's been so damn good down the stretch. He looks like he's been in the league for five years when I watch him. Yeah. Um, I'm amazed by his control. And like, this was always the story on him. And I was not a believer in Kate. You remember this? Like, yeah, I didn't, think I was, this, 
I didn't see the star potential. I was very, very confused by like why he was the de facto number one. And you were like, no, like you, Oklahoma State's teammates sucked. And like, he's believe me, he's like good. And I just didn't see it from him. And now I've kind of seen the light. Talk about a come to Jesus moment. I've come to Cade. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's Luca and these, like, he's not the same player, but like these guys who we knock on because of their limited athleticism and, they're not maybe elite at any one thing. Yeah. But it like they're the same type of player in the sense that just smart IQ, good enough shooting, get their teammates involved, and that's always going to be a recipe for success. So I I think Cade has lived up to the hype. He's been amazing. And then what's amazing is it, Detroit has won some really – yeah, good games down the stretch. They are not bad, and if they can add a Jabari Smith or Paolo Bancaro or even a Chet to this Chet, lineup, yeah. suddenly they start to look a lot more interesting. No, I think realistically, I bet Barnes wins this because he is probably the third best player behind Siakam and Van Vliet on a you know a team that is going to win mid forties, high forties number of games. But when I look at it, Katie's asked to do so much more. Van Vliet was an all-star, and Siakam is now being talked about as a potential all-NBA guy. Or if he's not an all-NBA guy, maybe he's the seventh forward, right? Mobley played with two all-stars, Garland and with Jared Allen. And so while they were both outstanding, they were asked to do what they do within the context of a more structured, more uh, cohesive system. And Cade came in, and Jeremy Grant's in and out of the lineup, and Sadiq Bey is shooting like shit for a long time. Killian Hayes looks like a bust from day one. And he kind of rallied this team together in a really interesting way. And I know his stats actually aren't even going to look as good. Like his raw stats, just because he shoots a lot, look better. But all the advanced numbers pretty much put him third out of three amongst amongst that trio. I just kind of... To your point, it's like I'm not going to make winning part of Rookie of the Year only because the the players who most likely are in contention for the award go to really bad teams. Um, the fact that Toronto and Cleveland ended up not being bad was certainly partially due to those rookies, but partially due to the fact that they had good players on the roster around them. True. They're absolutely true, right? And, I, I mean, you look, you talk about Kate's advanced stats. I mean, they're – not flattering at all. Negative box plus or minus, negative offensive win shares. And you can't just look at these offensive, like these advanced stats and make your argument based on that. Like clearly he's a plus player. I just think that it's not like Barnes and Mobley are just bit pieces. Like Barnes is averaging like 16 a game. Um, he's shooting, you know, like true shooting percentage, 55%. He has a PER of close to 17. Like, and and he's leading across these guys in all advanced metrics. Yeah. And this is a, a Toronto team that last year I know in Tampa, it was a weird situation. They had a lot of things going on. But this team, even with Siakam Van Vliet, kind of was floundering. And I think he's he's really been the glue, both offensively and defensively. And so it's not just that he's a role player and that he's the third best guy on this team. I really think he is a big reason that they're the five seed right now. Like Toronto being the five seed at this stage with the season almost done is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. And, and I've seen enough of the Tyreek Evans's, you know, like I saw it as a King, like he put up 25 and five only MJ 
LeBron and Oscar Robertson at that point had done that. Um, and I'm not saying Cade is Tyreek Evans, but at some point we need to reward something beyond the good stats, bad team. Uh, and so I think this is an opportunity to do that because we have two guys who are very deserving. How about my boy Jalen Green, who I've had to stay silent on for a while because he was really, really bad for a while, but he's coming along, dude. He is. He is. Um, I mean, his splits in like the first. Let me look. Yeah, at his, go his, look at basically his October, February versus March and April. Yeah, his pre All Star splits. Let's look it up right now. Were absolutely abysmal. Um. All right, here I've got it. Okay, pre All Star, fifteen points a game, right? But in terms of thirty nine percent from from field goal percentage, 31 three-point percentage, true shooting of 52, okay? Since then, he's now, after All-Star, averaging 22 a game, so up seven points, 47% from the field, 40% from three. So now he's become kind of good shooter, scores in bunches, um, of of course still an abysmal defender, but offensively, He's found some consistency in the second half. Yeah, I mean, his offensive rating went from 96 to 114. So he went from, like, basically a Stone Age's offense when he's on the court to above average. Yep. For a Houston team that is actively trying to lose, and so they definitely gave him more opportunities. But to your point, to do it efficiently is impressive. It's not like his just raw numbers are high because he's taking 30 shots a game. By the way, I don't know if you got a chance or if you've had a chance to see who Oklahoma City has been playing recently. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> but I don't even know how to pronounce some yeah. of the, these guys' names. But I was thinking, like, Oklahoma City and Houston, it seems like they've been bad for, like, 84 seasons in a row. They were the 4-5 matchup in the bubble. I know. It's... <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around. They've only been bad for two years, but it's so bad and so blatantly like disrespectful to the game. How is the NBA not stepping in on this the way they stepped in on my boy Sam Hinkie? Well, Sam Hinkie did it for like five years or four years. Four years, this, like, like you long. said, this has not been this hasn't been that long. Like that's the and reality. Sam Hinkie, it, it would have it would not have gone on that long if Joel Embiid didn't miss two seasons. Look, I'll already, I've already gone to the record saying I don't like the way Sam Presti's handling this. I, I just think there's diminishing returns at a cer- certain point with these picks. Like they the signed difference between- SGA to the max. He's a 23-year-old stud. He's actually too old for this rebuild. Well, they got to pay someone, right? That's the thing. Like you, you have to pay someone on this roster. So it's easy for them to give him the max. But my point is there's a world in which he is going to outstrip when the team is actually ready to compete. Oh yeah, I don't I don't think he's necessarily part of the the core that they're eventually going to build because those guys aren't on the roster right now. So, do they have anyone on their roster that's part of this core? Is it Giddy? Is that it? Yeah, it might be Giddy. It's probably Giddy and that's it. What about Poku? Gord? Poku clearly is not No, you know, it's not. It was a gamble don't, and don't it, talk not, to me about know. Poku, yeah. It's not Poku. Um Look, you're right. I don't think anyone on this roster, and that's the difference between Hanky and what OKC is doing. The Sixers at least had a couple of 
top picks that they they got. OKC hasn't had that yet. Maybe this year they will, right? But they haven't had. You know, Giddy last year was what number six. Yeah. The year before that, who do they pick? Well, they weren't bad, right? They, they weren't bad. Okay, they weren't bad. So they and Boku. And I think at some point I can't. I don't know if this is possible, but Presti's accumulating all these picks, but he needs to convert some of them into top 10. Can you package up like three first round picks? Well, I bet you they didn't expect a season where Kawhi Leonard played zero games and Paul George played like 30 games yeah, for the that Clippers to still them. make the damn playoffs. I don't know. I, I don't think that this Thunder experiment, everyone's always, you know, gargling Presti's balls about how good the, you know, he's managed this whole thing. But I don't know. 17 first round picks. Three years from now, where's this team going to be? Are they going to be a playoff team? I don't know. It actually comes back to the fact that they moved the team from Seattle, a city where players would absolutely go to play, to a city that literally has never signed an impact free agent in their entire history. They signed Paul George. They traded for Paul George, even though he wanted to go to L.A. Remember, they traded Victor Oladipo and Sabonis. He re-signed because Russell Westbrook like mind gamed into into doing that. But he still demanded, re-signed. He demanded out a year later. We hey, still he don't demand know what happened out. They... at that party that Russell Westbrook <laughs> threw that forced Paul George upon like pain of death to re-sign in that team. Yo, Russ must be the best salesman ever because clearly he also sold the Lakers this false bill of goods, right? That um... you know they're already talking about buyout sign with the Wizards. <laughs> God damn. We and, oh, and Russ also sold Harden. Like, he's he's played with the best talent yeah. anyone has ever played with in the NBA. Guys, commissions and... are out of control. <laughs> um, all right, we got to go through these awards a lot faster. We haven't even gotten to All-NBA <laughs> yet. Okay. Um, which one was that? Oh, Rookie of the Year. So then we have uh, Most Improved. Who do you like? Why don't you go first on this one? I'm going Jordan Poole. I I got Poole too. Really? I yeah. This to me, this was a no brainer. Okay, interesting. So Ja is like the heavy, heavy favorite. Nah, nah. Come on. Like I, <sighs> Ja feels like a natural ascension. And I know that the game is not about. I, I just I want to value like recognize the guy who. Developed in a way no one expected and is contributing significantly to a winning team. Ja obviously is doing that, but he was already on this trajectory. No one saw this with Jordan Poole. Yeah, I'm actually like dumbfounded by how good Jordan Poole is. Um, He's got a little Nick Young, Jordan Crawford in him with the streakiness. But at the same time, he's good. If he gets minutes, he's good for like 25 a night. Like mm-hmm. it's not just a small sample size. It's not just a flash in the pan. Like the only times he doesn't produce are when they bury him on the bench behind Stephen Clay. If yep. he's able to play, like he played a lot early on with Clay's injury. Now he's getting to play a lot with Steph's injury. I don't know how you don't start this guy every night. And I don't care. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember? I don't yep. care if that means you bench Clay. I don't care if that means you bench Wiggins. When I did the ranking of the big threes of every team, who did I put third on the Warriors behind Draymond and Steph? Remember that? I sent yeah. you that list. Yeah, yeah. I put Jordan Poole because I think he's that good. I'm amazed. He was the end of the first round pick. He was thought to be like a project, erratic, all those things. 
He I could mean, be a big X factor in the playoffs. Look, post All Star break, twenty four points a game, forty three percent shooting from three, forty eight percent from the field. Post All Star, so this is a significant sample size at this point. And I think when you're able to, and the fact that they rely on him so much offensively, like Wiggins, man, like I've been saying this forever about Wiggins. Um, it's at what point is he going to be the guy you can rely on? He was supposed to be the third banana, but clearly that's pool for this team, at least offensively. Yeah. And I think that that's significant. I think the fact that they're still, look, the words have struggled down the stretch, but at the same time, they're in a lot of these games, despite not having Clay, uh, Steph, and despite Clay being erratic night to night, because pool has been relatively consistent for them scoring. So I, you got to recognize that, man. Like, Jaw's got a good candidacy, too. I get it. But I think because no one saw this really coming from Poole and the fact that for a team like the Warriors, where it's hard to step in and play that kind of third scorer role, yeah, he's done a great job. Yeah, everyone on the Warriors who comes in has to be a role player, except for Kevin Durant. Yeah. Right? He's the only addition that's been able to play his own game. For some reason, Poole is able to play his own game and still be productive, still be effective. Um, and, and to be honest with Memphis, I agree with the jaw comment, which is like number two overall, overall pick. He goes from like pretty good to star in last year's playoffs to superstar kind of now hard transition to make, but also to be expected by a guy with that pedigree. Uh, if I had to vote for a Memphis player, I'd actually go with Desmond Bain. And it's the guy I picked yep. at the midway point And just because you didn't expect it, like we always talk about can second year players be eligible for most improved generally i would say no but with him it was like this isn't even the version of the player we saw as a rookie yeah this is a totally different player altogether um which makes it a lot more compelling than i think just like hey he averaged 12 points a game last year and now he averages 15 because he got more like that's that's less compelling i think changing the entire way you play basketball which is what bain did and what i feel like pool is doing is the better definition of the award. Yep. So we're aligned on that one. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, six man. I think there's only one candidate. So I think it's Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero. We talked about this too, I think, in our midseason awards. Yeah. Um, he has further put a stranglehold on this award. He put up 35 tonight as the Heat just destroyed uh, Charlotte. In a game Charlotte wanted. In a game so Charlotte wanted, was, suddenly now this – I can't believe freaking Brooklyn was in 10th after Kyrie came back. But now I believe they are – because Atlanta lost two. So I think they're back to being in 7th or 8th. Let's see. Um, yeah, Brooklyn is 8th now because Charlotte's a game back and they have the edge over Atlanta. Wow. So this is going to be a funny finish. But anyway – yeah. Tyler Hero. I don't think there's a debate. I think he wins this going away, and that's been a lock since, like, January. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything else to discuss on that one. Okay. So then one of the hardest awards to vote on, Coach of the Year. You want me to go first? Go for it. I'm going Taylor Jenkins. Yeah. that To me, this like, I don't know why how anyone can argue against this. I, I don't understand. Well... So Taylor Jenkins, for those who don't know, Memphis Grizzlies coach, uh, 
spectacular. The fact that you even have to say for those who don't know, I, I don't know everything. that everyone who's listening knows. No, that's him. what I'm saying. Like that, that, that's how crazy of a job he's done. The fact yeah. that he's this no name guy. And so when you think about the progression from last year, as the eight seed got in on the play in to where they are now, which is clinched the number two seed in the West with like two weeks to go. When you think about the 20 and three or 21 and three record without John Morant, who is, you know, before he missed this much time was an MVP candidate. Uh, and, and also a big, big stretch without Dylan Brooks too, who going into the season was arguably their second best player. So um, masterful job. They play hard every night watching them on Friday night beat, the Phoenix Suns who were playing all of their guys without yep. John Morant, Triple J, Desmond Bain, Steven Adams, Tyus Jones. I mean, you obviously give a lot of credit to the players, but the guy who's pulling a lot of those strings is the coach. When you said, how is this a debate? I think it's Monty Williams is really the other candidate. And I, I get it, right? It's hard to go from very good to great. That's another ascension that deserves to be recognized. Phoenix was almost a 60-win team last year. Phoenix is a 60-win team this year. Same roster, consistency, veterans like uh, you know Booker is a veteran now, Chris Paul. Monty Williams has done a fantastic job, but coach of the year has always been about deltas. It's always about how do you take your team to the next level. And yes, Phoenix has gone to another level, but uh, it's still nothing compared to what Memphis has done. And Memphis is like, a clear number two seed, right? Like there's, it's not like they're in this big race and jumbled between three other teams. They've established themselves as the second best team of the West. And so the argument that Phoenix is the head and shoulders above everyone else does not hold as much weight to me. I think a lot of people feel really bad that they gave it to Tibbs last year instead of Monty Williams. Yeah, <laughs> that was bad. They're trying to make up for that. And last year they gave the credit to Chris Paul. This year... They're like, shit, maybe that was... I mean, it's Chris Paul for sure, but it was also Monty Williams. Now we're stuck. Um, Monty Williams isn't even number two on my list. Oh, can I guess who is? Sure. Is it Eric Spolstra? Nope. Is it uh, Frank Vogel? Nope. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Oh, Ty Lue? No. Ooh. Is it Chris Finch? Nope. I, that's my boy, though. Is it Jason Kidd? Damn, how many names you got to go through? No. Wait, like, don't tell me. Is it, uh, is it, oh, Ime Odoka? Yes, Ime Odoka. This is I, why it's a hard award, because I could justify all those other people I just named. The, the reason it's him is, is he's, this is the exact same roster, essentially, that we've seen from Boston the last couple of years. But he's got them bought in defensively in a way that they never got out of Brad Stevens. And yeah, you can talk about, you know, Jason Tatum taking a leap. But everything else about this roster, like they're getting productive minutes out of Al Horford. A lot of that is coaching. Um, And the fact that they started off slow, but once they bought into his system and his schemes, they've been this good. I think he's my favorite uh, runner-up. Sorry. Well, Boston has been incredible. Uh, They are absolutely shellacking people to the point that like, as you know, I'm a big stat parlay guy Yeah, and I don't even bet on Boston anymore because like my go-to will be like 
Jason Tatum 25 plus or Rob Williams when he was hurt Henry. I don't even know what to bet because I think they might be up 30 in the first half and those guys <laughs> barely played. Like that's how it's turned into, right? Yeah, you're worried about them getting benched early because they're beating the shit out of teams too much, right? You never really have to worry about that mostly, but um I'm fascinated. I mean, he's done a great job. The turnaround's been amazing and I'm jealous because he was flying to DC for an interview. Uh and Brad Stevens called and made the offer. So yep. now we got the robot, Wes Unsell <laughs> Jr. Um, we call him R2-D2. You guys. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia all tied 49 and 30. And now it may – look, if Brooklyn holds into this eighth seed and then they win, right, now that second seed is in danger. So yep. there's a lot of things that are going to happen in these last couple of games. So. And if you look at Brooklyn's schedule, they should win out. Yeah. It's like um, the Knicks tomorrow night and then a couple other easy games, I forget. So they should win out. There's a world in which Cleveland, who somehow lost to Orlando tonight, they could fall, right? Like Brooklyn's a game and a half back of Cleveland. Atlanta's a game and a half back of Cleveland. Cleveland finishes with – who do they finish with? They have – oh, they play at Brooklyn and versus Milwaukee. Milwaukee's oh probably resting God, their guys. Yeah. But they, they need – Cleveland just needs to be one, win one to be okay. But it might come down to that last game against Milwaukee and who which, Milwaukee if, Assuming Milwaukee has nothing to play for, but, again, we don't know what they are trying to do. Yep. I would almost guarantee they do rest, though. But, yeah, so right. then Cleveland might be okay. Mm-hmm. All right, did we do all the awards? Uh, yeah, except for all NBA. All right, let's go to all NBA. We'll do this quick. We know we're running long. So the number one thing I was going to ask you is, where do you stand on this big position controversy? Guys having multiple position eligibility. What's the right thing to do versus what's allowed within the rules? Do you have a preference on this? Do you have like a stance or are you just going to say, fuck it, like if they allow me to do it, I'm going to do it? Now, I'm in the Ben, uh, sorry, not Ben Simmons, Bill Simmons camp, right, where he he talked about this. Um, I think if the rules are center, forward, forward, guard, guard, I don't care if they made Jokic a forward. I don't care what they try to massage around the edges. If they're sticking to center, forward, forward, guard, guard, I'm going to vote center, forward, forward, guard, guard. And it makes things weird, but that I just historic. I'm one of those guys who like likes things consistent with how we've done it historically. I'm all in favor of the NBA changing it to the All Star kind of format, kind of two guards slash wings and three forwards slash bigs. But the way it is right now, I'm sorry, I'm gonna pick a pure center at center and a forward at forward. I'm not gonna put a center at four. The longest time I was like, this is dumb. We just need Jokic and Embiid first team. For some reason, I don't know if it was Simmons or others who have started to force. Tim Bontemps has come out and said the same thing. I kind of agree. It's a dumb rule, but it's very clearly a rule for a reason where it's much simpler to fudge Luka as a guard or forward than it is to fudge Embiid or Jokic as a forward or center. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that I don't really understand is why is there so much talk about it this year 
when last year Embiid and Jokic finished one two in MVP and nobody thought to put you know one of them as forward on first team because like, Jokic was like clearly the favorite to win MVP this year it's so kind of close that it feels weird that one of these guys will be on first and one of these guys will be on second I guess That's so but now people are even saying Giannis might finish second in MVP so maybe he's fallen off we you know you had him yeah but I'm like I don't know I had him a second, but I'm really putting him right next to Embiid. So the other thing that I don't know if people realize, but the the All-NBA voting is very, very dumb in the way that the votes are tallied. And so it's based on the, the number of votes you get at that position. So yep. if your votes are split, and this is actually a really big risk, I think. If your votes are split, you have a risk of falling off of one of the teams because someone else got more votes at that position. This yeah, happened you last year. Split your year. votes between Jason Tatum got more votes than Kyrie Irving, but because his votes were split by forward and guard, he ended up falling off of third team All NBA, and Kyrie made it. So, so that's why it's dumb giving a guy like Jokic forward consideration because yes. they're just hurting his case, and they're going to so split his. That's votes. why I think there's a world in which Jokic could end up second team All NBA. Because if you had to pick one of those two players, Jokic or Embiid, that you are more likely to vote forward, it'd be Jokic. Yeah, hundred percent. Just because of like Embiid is as true of a center as they come. Jokic is a I don't know what, right? Yeah. And so that's really concerning to me that Jokic might win MVP and be second team All NBA. But nonetheless, first team. How many stone cold locks did you have? Four. Okay. What are they? Jokic at yep. center, Giannis at forward. Yep. Durant at forward. Wow. Okay. Luca at guard. Durant. Yeah, yeah. Come at me with the games played argument. I love Durant. I mean, look, Kevin Durant's my favorite player in the league. I you have three of my you have my three favorite players in the league on first team, and Giannis might be fourth, honestly. So you won't hear that argument against against anything. I give Durant a lot of credit for sort of keeping this thing afloat during an absolutely absurd season. I can't give him first team over Jason Tatum. Just because Jason Tatum's played 20 games more than him, he is spearheading the best point differential in the East, who's been absolutely on fire, best team in the league for the last two months. And, you know, whatever you want to say, obviously Durant is a better player than Tatum. That's not in question. But the Nets, they're just disappointing. And I know when Durant plays, they're a 54-win team. So it's not like they're far off. In fact, better than when the Celtics play with Tatum. So that's the best argument. But I like what Jason Tatum's done more. I really like what the Boston Celtics have done more than Brooklyn. And so I'm giving Tatum the very slight edge over over Durant, which I can't believe I'm doing because that's against my ethos. So the way I justify it is I have Tatum fifth in my MVP vote. I have him above Durant in my MVP voting because I think to be MVP, the games played argument matters a lot. All NBA, I see it a little bit differently. I think 55 is enough. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a weird season. 55 games is enough, and... Despite the Nets struggling, Durant is still one of the best players 
in the league. And when I look back at all NBA teams for the last several years, if Durant is in the middle of his prime, averaging 37 and 6, God knows what it is, still having an impact on winning, like you said, they're a 54 win team, you know, with him. How can he not be a first all NBA like guy? Like that to me, the MVP is a snapshot of a singular season and really about what that player meant to that season, which I agree, Durant, not even in my top six for MVP. But all NBA to me, given its historic kind of importance, I don't care who's number five or six on MVP, but I care who's first team all NBA. That stuff matters. That stuff matters to contracts. So to me, I think I still want Durant on that team over Tatum. I don't have an argument. He's obviously the number one person on my second team and, Maybe if he goes balls to the wall and brings Brooklyn to the seventh seed or even locks him into the eight, that will be enough to change my mind. Um, if he was at the 10 seed, which is when I made this list before tonight's games, then I had a really hard time putting him first team all NBA. But my last player is a lock, actually, for me, uh, Devin Booker. So I've got Booker also on the first team. Okay. That is a. He's- He's pretty much a lock. I, I, I just don't know what that, else he could do to be more of a lock. Hey, fine, he's a lock. Especially when I, you consider injuries to Steph and Curry. Sorry, Steph and Paul and Ja. Like, there's no debate. All right, yeah. I'm comfortable with saying that. There's okay. no one to debate it over him, really. I just think that the gap between him and the other guys is smaller than the gap between Luka, Durant, Giannis, Jokic yes. with their... Yeah. Although, like you said, Tatum and Durant, I totally buy that argument. Okay, so my second team, centers and Bede, Durant, obviously, DeMar DeRozan at the other forward, John Morant at guard, Trey Young at guard. Absolute stud, underrated performance this season. Trey Young has been a beast and... I think the only thing propping up uh, otherwise semi-disastrous season in Atlanta. I'm still giving the nod to Steph. And once again, it's more of a... I mean, look, Trey's numbers, his efficiency is... You know, you can make the argument he's better than Steph. Sure. At the end of the day, Atlanta, regardless of that roster, you know, problems they've had, has been a train wreck. Um, and I know they've picked it up. Train wreck. I'm sorry. Who was your first team forward? Yeah, I mean Durant, right? But Durant, like the the stats with him playing are still much better than the stats with Trey playing. And it's and I think the body of work over the entire season. I mean Trey's been consistent all season, right? But Atlanta's only picked it up towards the end. Killing himself every night and for you to slander him on this podcast. I'm not slandering him. He's on my third team. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm not like leaving Why don't him off you my send him to the main red claws because that's about essentially the same thing. I look, I you know how much I don't like Steph and the Warriors, but at the same time, you know, he's he's had a down season by his standards. He is by not his been standards. That good, I think, this year. He is not, right? But they were still a really good team before he got injured, still the number two seed, uh, or maybe that just slipped into number three. So I, I'm still giving him the nod. And and look, I like I said, I overvalue. I think about all NBA as Steph is still in the prime 
one of his prime years, I don't see how he can't be second team given how well he played this season. So wait, did you have Jaws the other guard then? I had Jaws the other guard. Okay, and then who is your front court? Tatum instead yep. of Durant for you, DeRozan and, and then Embiid. So I'm okay, the same so as you. This... Okay, got it. All right. So third team. You want to go? This one I had. Okay, so I had Towns yes. as my center. Not That's Gobert. a lock. I've got LeBron. Thank God Ford. we got rid of Gobert, but yes. I got LeBron. Okay. Um, I got Levine at my other forward, which I know is controversial. Um, I mean, he's not a forward, but yeah, sure. I know he's yeah. forward eligible. I know he's forward eligible. Yeah, so the third NBA, like third team, like and I could have gone Pascal Siakam there. Well, he's been playing a lot with Dasunmu and Caruso, so he is technically the small forward. He he gets minutes at the – it's not like egregious to have him yeah. at forward, right? It's yeah. not like Jokic at four. Trey, right? Okay. And now this one is the one that literally I spent – I literally flip-flopped 10 times between Chris Paul and Donovan Mitchell. Yep. And I picked Chris Paul. And okay. I – I think I should have gone Donovan Mitchell because Paul, look, numbers-wise, he's not having the same kind of impact. But at the same time, because Phoenix was so good this year, I'm like, I'm going to use that as the reason to justify two guys making the All-NBA team. And Chris Paul still has been extremely important when he does play. So So for the longest time, and what I thought was in stone for me was – moving Jokic to forward, solving my forward uh, issue, and yeah. having Gobert on third team with Towns on second team. Then I had room for Paul or Mitchell, like you said, and I went Paul because I did not want there to be two Jazz on the team. Yeah. Now that I've booted <laughs> Gobert, thankfully, I also have Towns, LeBron, and I have Curry, of course, so the same players you had between second and third. I went Mitchell because I think Paul missed some time. I, Mitchell missed some time as well, but I just think of him as a more dynamic, singular force carrying the number one offense in the league. So that's another yep. thing that we need to remember yep. is that they're, Utah, yeah. as bad as they've fallen in recent times and especially defensively, they're the number one offense in basketball all these times, all these games through. So I'm going to give Mitchell credit for that. The final forward spot, again, this was not an issue for me when I had Jokic at forward. I don't, I don't know. I can't really. I love Levine. I can't get around on him having an All NBA season. But I look at my other options, and it's Chris Middleton, it's Pascal Siakam, who wasn't even an All Star. Like I assume James Harden doesn't have forward eligibility, and again, I don't think he deserves to be an All NBA player. Um, you know. Maybe what you do is you move Luca to first team forward, get Paul and Mitchell on the list, and then bump everyone down one forward wise. So Tatum and Durant are second team, DeRozan and LeBron are third team. But I mean, Luca is a guard. Like, I. This is where it gets complicated. Like your Levine pick is not bad by any stretch. It's just. I don't know that he's had an all NBA year. I think he's had an all star year. I can't, I, I'm struggling with calling him a top 15 guy this season. 
But outside of that roster, that shuffling you're doing between positions, like you said, there is no great answer. Like Pascal Siakam has been actually pretty good this season. He's on a tear. He's on a tear. Yeah. And he's on a tear. But at the same time, you know, like, yeah, Toronto's right now above Chicago or are they below Chicago? They're They're, above Chicago. Yeah. They're above, but they're all, they're in the same area. And I think that, you know, Scotty Barnes is a big role in that success that they've had. And look, I know DeRozan and Levine, like, should we be giving two all NBA slots to a team that has completely fallen down the standings, right? Like, this is not the same Chicago team we were talking about two months ago. That, to me, is the biggest argument against having Levine on there. But what about Chris Middleton or Jalen Brown? Middleton is more, I don't know. Part of it is the fatigue for me. Um, he hasn't had a great year. He's had a good second half of the year, but he hasn't been like amazing. He, he hasn't elevated. Yeah. yeah, and it's unfair to him because he's consistent. I mean, he's still like the number two option on a very, very good Milwaukee team. But given that Milwaukee took a step back this year, his stats haven't jumped, or he hasn't done anything notable. It's hard for me to all of a sudden fault him into third team All NBA. So, um, and and Jalen Brown. I, you know, actually not even Jalen Brown's fault. Part of it is because Tatum has looked so good. You know, at one point, Jalen Brown looked as good as Jason Tatum. Yeah. Now, because Tatum has looked so good and Jalen Brown's kind of been the consistent number two guy, for, in some, not even fair to him, but that's kind of brought him down in my eyes. And I didn't really consider him. But you're right. He's also a candidate for the spot. Well, it's weird because the league is as deep as it ever has been. We still didn't even have seasons from Zion, from Kawhi. You know, we didn't get a full season from Clay or from Kyrie, Draymond. All of those could have been candidates here. So it's weird that we're having trouble with that last spot. But at the same time, you got to think the league's as deep as it's ever been. And there's so many talented players who are, like, putting up crazy stats on a regular basis. Dame Lillard, obviously, Bradley Beal perennial All-NBA guys or guys who have made All-NBA teams in recent years. None of them were involved this season in, in the voting. Um, yeah, and, you know, Anthony Davis, Harden. Anthony Davis, Harden, yeah. Like, these are all, like, at one point, Anthony Davis and Harden. Paul George. Yeah. Paul, Paul George, George was a lock on this team if he Kawhi. just played. If, if the NBA was totally healthy, right, and all these guys played up to their – you know, what they normally do. You can argue Anthony Davis, Harden, Kawhi, Paul George could all be on this list. And Zion, the man averaged 27 points a game on 60% shooting last year. You put those five guys on, you're probably kicking off who? Levine for sure. Who who did you have as your forward? Uh, I guess I hadn't picked, but... Okay, wait, so who... Sorry, who is your third team? I don't even... I guess I'll go Levine. I don't know. I honestly don't know. My third team was Curry, uh, Mitchell, LeBron, Towns, and I don't. I don't know. I guess Levine. I'm not happy about it, but I guess he's the yeah, best. I mean, I wasn't. Ex- I wasn't excited about Levine, but I, I love yeah. Zach Levine. But I just. I mean, I don't know that I'm there with with it on a All Star. or sorry, All NBA selection. Yeah. But yeah, the league is deeper than it's ever been, man. I think that's a good point. Like you look just, at just we're, need we're, health and the removal of the word load management from our brains. 
we're far removed from Jamal McGlure making the the All NBA. No, he was All Star, not All. He was All Star, yeah. But there have been some egregious All NBAs, like DeAndre Jordan's made the All NBA. Yeah, twice. <laughs> but all right, that's it for us, right? Well, yeah, I think we we went through everything. Next week, we're gonna probably try to record on Thursday if we can, because that'll be the massive playoff play preview. And By then, we'll, we'll have all of the play-ins games set or completed. We'll have all the playoff matchups in place Saturday, April 16th, 11 days away. Uh, I can't wait. The The Lakers were officially eliminated tonight. I don't know if we covered that, if we mentioned it on the pod or before we started recording. We, we, we did mention it, um, but it's insane, man. It's insane. LeBron missing the playoffs. Second time in his Lakers tenure. And the other two years, one was a first-round exit, one was a title. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not, you know. Which you can ba- – I can barely say the word title. He's 37, man. What do you want? He's averaging 30 points a game with top five across several advanced metrics. Yes, he's been a disaster in a lot of ways defensively, the effort, all the stuff, roster construction. Give the guy a break. He's 37. The most amazing thing is he's playing 37.2 minutes per game. Yeah. Like, what more do you want from the guy? Why he's doing that, I have no idea. Okay, but if he doesn't do that, what are people going to say? Why isn't he trying? Why isn't he playing, right? Like, you can't win. He can't win. Like, he... Let me look at this. He is third in the league in minutes. And Durant is sixth, and these guys and Harden is fifth, and these guys are old. So yeah, I mean their teams need them. So all right, that's a wrap. I, I LeBron can't even come back for two games to just clinch the scoring title because Embiid has overtaken him. So he's going to need a couple big games, not just coming back and playing at all. Well, I don't know what he's going to do, right? Is he going to try to win it? Is he just sitting he it out the rest back of the season? After they've been eliminated strictly to go for the scoring title, you're going to have to have a solo pod where you just kind of explain that rationale and why it's okay. I might not even say anything. I might not even be on. Who cares if it's not okay? Here, in the grand scheme of things, right? I can even agree that it's not okay. It's dumb. It's a very selfish thing to do. I can say all that. Why does that change the narrative around where he stands in terms of the greatest basketball players of all time? Why does that change that narrative? I still don't get why. Change the narrative? It reaffirms why he's not number one because he doesn't have that. No, 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 no. It reaffirms people's reasons for why they love uh, Kobe or MJ more. Fine. But in the grand scheme of things, it does not change anything from a basketball standpoint. You can't get negative points. You what can't are all dock these him. Top five metrics. He's what? What are all these metrics? He's Vorp. Top he's five top five in Vorp. Let me look. Look he's at this. In win shares per forty-eight, he's twenty-third. In Vorp, he's fifth. Yeah, there you go. In box plus box minus, plus minus, he's fifth. There you go. Those are two big ones. Those in are ER. Huge. He's fourth. So what more Damn, do you want, M- man? Like MVP <laughs> and thirty points a game. Like, look, 
it is, I don't care what the context is for the rest of the season. The fact that he's putting up these numbers is still meaningful. It's still meaningful at age 37. Thankfully, the Lakers are on national TV every night, so we don't have to rely on just the box scores. We actually see the games, and they're down by like 27, Look, and he hits I, I agree. Threes. Sure, sure. Right? But my point is the fact that he can like, – you, you can't dismiss the fact that he's even able to score 30. I don't care if he's playing 37 minutes. Kobe, in his last couple of years, was a shit show on the court, and he didn't give a fuck. He was jacking up shots left and right. That team was ass. Like, how come no one talks about that? Because what, what was that was like a caricature of Kobe. Like LeBron but, 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 is still, what is that? That's still like because LeBron still puts out tweets like "keep the same energy," "keep talking about my players' ages and our fits and all sure. that stuff." I don't care if you have a problem with all that, but don't act like the what he's doing on the basketball court is some disgrace to the game, right? When Kobe mailed it in those last couple of years, like. And that's he didn't the, the fail La- it in. He was trying. all these Laker. I hope these Laker fans are listening. All these Laker fans, right? Like especially on the spreads in that spreads group, they all like have blinders on when it comes to Kobe. Like it's insane. Kobe was a train. He he literally sunk that franchise last couple of years because he wanted to get paid. They couldn't pay anyone else, and he was sucking up minutes, taking away from young players' development, and just shitting the bed every night in and night out but no he scored 60 points in his last game that he's still treated like as this you know what if lebron scored 60 points in his last game as a laker no one give a shit can you have some respect for the fallen my god kobe would have been canceled if kobe played in, in today's day and age like after colorado he wouldn't even be in the league all right so i don't like i don't get why the scrutiny over lebron is at this all-time the LeBron high. scrutiny is based on the fact that he is created a singular entity to his benefit business-wise, but he is not tied to a team. He's not tied to a fan base. The yeah. fan base that loved him most, Cleveland, burned his jerseys aggressively after the first title. If he had not won when he came back, they wouldn't have loved him after he left for L.A. He has no home, which is fine. Maybe a lot of the this yeah. generation's players have no home, but that's, and he- that's ultimately why. And he's never going to be loved the same way. I agree with that. I'm not asking for everyone to love LeBron. I'm asking them to respect what he does on the court. You know, and, you know, the funny thing is there are people like Jackie McMullen on, on Russillo's pod, right? Like she made this point around, oh, if LeBron really cared about chasing MJ, he would leave L.A. and go to another team. But that's the same kind of logic. If he leaves L.A. and goes to another team, people are like, MJ wouldn't do that. Like, my point is no matter what LeBron does, there's going to be a narrative that that is the wrong thing. If he stays with one team and doesn't try assembling a winning team, he doesn't care about winning. If he tries doing that, he's this mercenary. So I've learned to, you know, just I, LeBron's never going to win. I love the moving goalposts. But listen, my computer's about to die, and it's time to 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 sunset on this awards ballot. I will say. We have not even thought about over-unders at all. And so next week, in addition to the playoff preview, we will look at over-unders and who was off the most, who was the closest. I think nobody can have a worse prediction than when I said Chauncey Billups was going to win Coach of the Year (laughs) and the Blazers were going to make a run. Instead, they're starting a guy named C.J. Ellaby and getting like 35 minutes a game. 
Um, but that was probably the worst call of the whole group. But we'll go through that in detail and see what else, what other nuggets. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, we both had a lot of bad calls in that pod. I may have had more than you, but we're going to be wrong about a lot of things. I got to check the numbers. We were right about the Bulls. We were all over on the Bulls. That's the only thing that. Are they still going to hit the over? They've been sliding, man. They've been sliding, and it got, it's actually gotten close. I think it was 43 and a half, but thankfully they're at 45. So they're okay. They're, we're good. We're they're good. over. The Wizards, who randomly keep winning games when they shouldn't fucking win games, beat the shit out of the Timberwolves tonight for some reason. They may hit their over. They're 33 and a half. And despite Bradley Beal being shut down and since the All-Star break, essentially, like they're very, very close. Let me see what their record is. They're, they're like going to probably hit their over as well. Which All I, I know is... Yeah, they're 35 and 44, so they've crossed. We also, I know we did have Lakers over. Lakers over, we had. We fell into the narrative the Russ is going to help them during the, uh, the days that AD and LeBron won rest. Too bad I, exactly. we didn't realize AD no, was going to rest. No, you the whole convinced year. me of that. You convinced me of that. I didn't realize AD was going to rest the whole year. <laughs> the, the worst is we both had the Warriors under. Yeah. And the Memphis under. (laughs) I thought I had Memphis over. You might have had Memphis over. I had Memphis under. Yeah, but either way, there's a lot of these that are not going to be good. And I I think I had Boston under, too. God damn it. (laughs) I think with my heart too much, I realized. Oh, we've, we've always known that about you. That's okay. In the words of Lil Wayne, I wear my heart on my sleeve like it's the new fashion. All right, man. That's it. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We will be back next week with our playoff preview. We're about to get going into the, the best time in the NBA season. So until then, have a good week.